knock these buildings down, we'll hear all of us soon. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's kind of a hard video, but it took us back uh, to almost 11 years ago when this country was shaken. It's hard to believe that it's almost 11 years. I look around, a lot of young people here this morning. Many of you guys were very young, and I know that the video was probably new for many of you. But these last 11 years, um, it's, it's, it's an incredible blessing that um, although most of America expected another terrorist attack, but there's been an amazing protection over this country. I know that's because of the brave uh, military that America has, so I want to give it up for the military. And uh, the radical, uh, I really believe that the radical threat to America continues to exist, so I'm grateful for these men and women who, who are protecting um, America, not only here, but in different parts of the world. For us, personally, me and my family, these last 11 years have been a journey that I never thought I would be on. I never thought I would be in the ministry. When I was growing up, I used to make fun of preachers. So if anyone makes fun of me today, young man, young lady, watch it. You know, God might just <laughs> call you into the ministry. But, uh, but it's been fun, 11 years. Most of what I do is in America, like Pastor mentioned earlier. I'm a product of your missions dollars. It was this great American missionary, Mark Buntain, who was supported by this church that led me to Christ. But now God has called me to be a missionary to this country. America now has the third largest population of unchurched people. Number-wise, there's more Christians now in India and China than now in America. And so I feel called as a missionary to this country. I speak uh, every weekend. I'm in some city somewhere. Um, uh, I also speak for Campus Crusade for Christ, which takes me to college campuses. And then I go back a lot to India, about four trips every year to India. And in India, we're involved in church planting, evangelism, with the Assemblies of God, and also uh, in a ministry that you guys also get to do, a fight against human trafficking. 
Uh, and, and yesterday when I was sitting down with your pastor, I just felt, an, as I got connected with him, I just felt an incredible connection with you guys, even before seeing you, knowing that you guys have such a heart to fight human trafficking, uh, you know, modern slavery. And so we have a ministry called You Can Free Us on the streets of New Delhi, India. We work on this one street called GB Road, which is a mile and a half in length, and 37,000 registered sex workers live and work on the street a mile and a half in length. So we go, we go rescue these girls, bring them to our safe house, and more importantly, introduce them to Jesus. So please keep that ministry in your prayers. And so that's a little bit about our ministry part, uh, but my, on my personal front, uh, God's blessed me with a great wife and three children, our two boys and a girl, our oldest. He's part of our story. My wife was pregnant with him at that time. He's 10, and our girl is six, and a, and a one-year-old baby. So, and our home is Dallas, Texas, which is a great place. I often tell people it's a place close to heaven, and then I come to the Northwest, and I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful out here. God has really blessed uh, this part of the country. It's one of my favorite places to come. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you allowed my past to cross with Pastor Stan almost a year ago, and, and Lord, uh, you knew this day would happen, and I thank you for uh, the pastor, the man of this house, and his heart for you and the kingdom and for his people. Well, I've just been blessed getting to know him um, and, and know what a quality leader, Lord, he is. And Father, this morning, thank you, Lord, that I get to speak before your people and share with them what God, you did for me 10 years ago, 11 years ago. But this morning, as I speak, would you arrest every thought here, whether it be in my head or other folks that are listening to me, that's not from you. Would you arrest every spirit here that is not from you? And I pray there would be complete freedom for your most Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Dear friends, my life journey started way east in India. And you guys looking at me could tell that, right? <laughs> Grew up in a Christian home. But you know this already, being raised in a Christian home doesn't really mean that you could end up as a follower of Jesus. When I was growing up in India, in this Christian home, I watched my parents and our family go through a tragedy. I was about nine years of age and my sister, who was seven at that time, was fading and dying to cancer, to leukemia. And that made me really angry. If you've lost a loved one, die young or lost a family member, you've been there. Those emotions that hit you hard. Especially when you're young, it's hard for you to even try to figure this out about why there's death and suffering. So I started asking these questions of life, which I'm pretty sure that some of you would have asked at some point of time in your life. Oh God, why is there death? Why do children have to sleep on the streets of Calcutta with no roof over their head? Why do young girls get sold in the red light districts of the world? Why is there hunger and, and starvation and such depravity in a humanity that looks so broken? Why do children have to pick up guns and fight in Africa? Why AIDS and HIV eating into this generation? Those are some of the questions I started asking as a, as a young child growing up in India. Oh God, if you're really out there, if you are this God and every spoken word created this incredible universe of awe and wonder, you create everything out of nothing. If you are the omnipresent God, omniscient God, all-present, all-knowing, then why, do, why does all this evil continue? Why do marriages that take off fall apart? So God, is Christianity just another way to get to heaven? 
I live in a very religious nation, so all these isms that India has to have, offer could also be right. The Hindus could be right, the Buddhists could be right, the, the Jains could be right, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, all these isms have come out of India. And Islam also reached India in a few years of it getting started. So could it be that all these voices and all these paths are right? And being raised in a Christian home, perhaps this is the path that I, that I should be on, but I really don't want to follow this path, so I rebel against the faith of my parents, start doing my own thing. But my grandmother and my parents would not give up. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but for somebody who prayed you into God's kingdom. But beyond prayers, my mother had another way to get me to church. She would bribe me to church. So if you have kids that don't like to go to church, try it. It works. It worked for me. But beyond that, I was highly motivated to go to church. And my mother didn't know this until I started speaking. And one day she hears this on a CD. Well, my motivation to go to church was the prettiest girls in our community were in the church. <laughs> and so I would go to youth services. And I'm one day sitting in a, in a youth convention 15 years of age, my mind just wondering. I'm there because I want to get to know somebody and I want someone's phone number before that youth convention gets over. <laughs> now, back in our times, that's the only thing. You know, phone numbers, no cell phones, just those landlines. These days, young people, I know what you guys get to do if you're single. You go look up people's profiles on Facebook and see if they're single or not, right? You get to do all that stuff on social media. It's so big. You know, I was telling the folks in the first service that I recently heard someone say, well, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook being so big and consumes a lot of our time, why not bring it together and, you know, build it, build it as one platform? The other guy says, if you bring YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook together, what would you call it? And the guy said, just call it YouTube face. So I'm sitting in the service, my mind wandering. When I'm arrested, it's so arrested by these words of this American missionary, Mark Montaigne, who says, Christianity is not a religion. What Christianity truly is, and he breaks it down by saying, is friendship with God of eternity. God of eternity through His Son, Jesus Christ, extends a hand of friendship towards a humanity that is so empty, broken, without Him. And I felt that was amazing. I never heard that you could be a friend of God through the lenses of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. None of the world religions will ever tell you that you can be a friend of God. Islam will never call Allah a God of love. Never. No Muslim can ever tell you that. No Hindu will tell you that God is a God of love. And you can be a friend of God. Those words were just so liberating. And I remember running up to those altars, God. I need this friendship with you. One foot in the world, one foot in the church, but now my fight with you is over. And since then, dear friends, I've come to tell you, it's been the most amazing, adventurous journey. Set free from tradition, set free from dogmas, in love with Jesus of Nazareth and the way of the Master. I thought my calling would be in business, so I thought, uh, you know, I decided to pursue degrees in business, a bachelor's in business, an MBA in business. I love to talk, brag about those degrees like I'm doing right now because that's the, that's the only thing I get to do with these degrees these days. <laughs> I was done with business school and I was working for a corporation in India when I would meet this young girl, Indian by birth, 
But she had left India with her family when she was really young and had immigrated to New York. We meet in India, get married in January of 2000, around the Y2K year, remember that? And, and we were done, you know, with our marriage. We had a great time in India. We thought we would settle in India. But it was hard for my wife to get adjusted to life, to new life now in India. So in February of 2001, we pack up our bags and leave Calcutta, India for a new life in America. And folks, I will never forget this season in my life as I'm getting ready to be leaving India for America. Now, growing up in India, I had never traveled outside of India. My view of America, my worldview of America was through television movies and, and through missionaries that would come and speak about America. And so I was kind of excited to come here, but here was a challenge. I was kind of broke. A few weeks and months into my marriage, I had realized that American women are high maintenance. <laughs> Why are all the men so excited to hear this? You'll get in trouble if you smile really wide. So time comes when we leave India and I go to the bank and the bank has converted every Indian rupee in American dollars. If you've been to a third world country or developing world, you would know this. You take your green overseas, you get a lot of change back. You know, I have a joke with my friend who always promises to who wants to pay me in Zimbabwean dollars, which is like, like crazy amounts of money, but try to do the math the other way around. The banker does, does the math and he hands me a crisp $50 bill. The first time I'd ever seen a $50 bill. So guys, you're looking at somebody that started his life in America almost 11 years ago with $50 and two bags. I remember landing at JFK Airport and, and it didn't take me too long to realize that, hey, this is going to be an incredible journey. This is going to be so different from everything that I'm used to. First of all, growing up in India, I had never seen snow. And so when I landed in New York City, it was right in the middle of a blizzard. So weather was going to be different. Food was going to be way different. Here's a story around food. This is after I started working in New York City. Someone says, are you hungry? Let's grab some lunch. Now, having lived in America then by, for about a couple of months, I knew that, hey, you get to eat all kinds of meat. Well, by the way, this, since this morning, I heard something I'd never heard anyone say before. One of your pastors says that pigs are our friends. But <laughs> I thought that was cool. But, but in India, we don't get to say that stuff. You, can't, you, know, you get killed if you ask for, especially beef, because a cow is worshipped in India. And, and so, uh, so I remember this going to this restaurant with this guy on lunch hour, this co-worker friend of mine, but on the way to this restaurant, I'm wondering, what kind of food is this guy taking me to? He said, wings. And I wondered, wings or what bird or what animal? <laughs> now, be honest with me this morning. Have you been there, where, been somewhere where it's a new setting? Perhaps you're in church for the very first time. You know, you, this is a new setting for you. You have no idea when we stand or when we sit. And, you, and you're just trying to fit in. Well, I've been there many times where I'm in a new setting. I have no idea, but you just play the game. You just play that. You just do what is expected or you watch what the other person is doing and you just, you just do that. So I pretended that I knew, what I, was, this, what, that I knew this, what this man was talking about. Went along with this guy, reached this restaurant. But church, it didn't take me too long to realize that there was something very odd, very different about this restaurant. I'd never been in a restaurant like this in my life. Well, the waitresses were not dressed the way waitresses ought to be dressed. So I had to come back that night and tell my wife that I ended up at Hooters. <laughs> Driving was very challenging for me. Here you drive on the right side of the road. Any young man, young lady here, this is your first year you just start driving? Anyone here? Okay, you expect to drive on the right side of the road. 
In UK, you drive on the left side of the road. But church, where I come from, you can drive on either side of the road. <laughs> we have traffic lights in India, but those flashing lights, are, they're called disco lights in India. Just to amuse you as you zip by all that traffic. And it's true, you have to share the roads in India with cows and elephants and horses. So a lot of excitement on the roads of, of India. And so life is so different in America. But often I would just wake up and I would say, God... I don't know anybody in this country. I have no idea how my life is going to take off for me. But I often would be reminded of some of the eternal truths that I learned when I had this encounter with Jesus in Calcutta, India. That He's called you to be the head and not the tail. That greater is He that is in you than in He in the world. That it's not about your pedigree or your birth family. If God's hand is upon your life, He will part the sea for you. He will open doors that no man can shut. And that is the only promise that I had. And I would take that promise to heart. And every morning as I would be you know, looking for, for work, I would be like, God, that's all I have. You got to make a way for me. And God just begins to do something so amazing with my life. I soon find work on the 81st floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. I start doing marketing for a telecommunications company called Network Plus. My wife finds work on the 71st floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center. She starts doing accounting for this company called Morgan Stanley. Everything going so well for us. We both have good jobs, making good money. And often, dear church, I would just slip back and I would say, God, it's hard to believe how quickly my life has changed in this country. In just a few months of now living here, you've just changed my life around, blessed beyond my wildest dreams. But I, oh God, I just find myself chasing the junk and the funk and the stuff that money can get you in this country. But, oh God, I realize that there's got to be more than this. I'm tired just going through the motions of church life. And I'm convinced this Sunday morning that that is a cry of somebody that is here this morning with us. You're tired of going through the motions of church life. And the cry of your heart this Sunday morning is, God, is there more? I want to do something with my life. Hang in there. God is about to raise you. God's about to do something wild with your life. Are you ready? The question is, are you ready? If you are a willing vessel, a broken vessel, you're a great candidate in the hands of God, in the eyes of God, this Sunday morning. As the cry of my heart is, oh God, would you use me? Here rolls in September 11, 2001. Dear friends, it starts off as the most beautiful, clear, cloudless day in New York City. And then everything changes forever. I'm on the 81st floor of the North Tower. Looking out of the windows, I see the Statue of Liberty. And that morning, as I watched that sigh, I went through those emotions that everybody goes through when you watch something like that. As I see this incredible sight, and that was my view every day at work on, a, on clear, cloudless days. I'm saying, God, you know my story. I came here with nothing, but you blessed me. Well, what am I doing for you? And I decided to put all those thoughts onto an email. And I sent an email out to someone that would go to my church in New Jersey. I wrote to my friend Tom there saying, Tom, something is happening to me this morning. I know there is a call of God upon my life. I want to be used of God. I'm just tired chasing after stuff in America. Let go of that email at 8 or 5 in the morning from the World Trade Center. Had no idea then. That in the next 40 minutes or so, this great tragedy would happen. God would spare our lives. And here I stand before you 11 years from that day, sharing with you of His goodness and of His glory. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
So dear friends, here's the moral of this model of my story. It's very simple. You can say loud with me. God reads email. That's my theology 101. Let go of that email. And I'm now working by this fax machine, sending some paperwork to office, one of our offices in Philadelphia. When I hear this incredible explosion, and for a moment I thought my eardrums would burst. It's the loudest noise I ever heard in my life. The building is shaking violently. For a moment I thought it was a bomb or we didn't know what was going on, but soon realized that this was a huge jet plane, American Flight Number 11, flying coast to coast from Boston to L.A., after it took off from Boston, it was hijacked by Al-Qaeda terrorists, its destination New York City, and this huge jet plane flying at 440 miles an hour had come crashing into our tower. The plane struck a few floors above us, but do you remember the way the plane crashed and part of the wing of the plane tears in through our floor? Jet fuel spreads across our floor, fire breaks out all around us, walls caving down. As I look up, there's a huge crater. As I look down under the crater, a picture of twisted steel and cable. Fire around us, the intensity of the heat and the smell of the jet fuel overwhelming all of us. And I'm saying, God, if this building is going to go down with us, I'm never going to see my wife again. I'm never going to see the child she's carrying. Oh, I'm never going to see my parents that live in Calcutta, India. But someone from our floor says, hey gang, stay calm, let's make our way out of this place. And you've probably heard the story of this man who's, who rallied us. It's a story that was told on many of networks of two men that carried a lady down in a wheelchair, 68 flights. Both these men would work with me in those towers. One of them rallies us and we join him. We start following him towards the stairwell. The closest stairwell would be on our right. But before we could get to the stairwell, we had to cross this place where the elevators were. Now the elevator shafts were right in the middle of these towers. The jet fuel by then had come down the elevator shaft. And literally balls of fire shooting out of that place. So we had to fight our way through all that fire before we could get to that stairwell. If you would ask me this morning, what did that stairwell look like? I would tell you that it wasn't broad enough. It was good enough for us to be running down in two files. Hundreds, thousands of people running down that stairwell. It was incredible. The best of people were coming out that day. Everyone was being an American that day. They just, just were being so generous with people who were hurt and people that had, had burn injuries. But I'm just, I've just lost my mind in a way. I'm just going crazy trying to figure out where my wife is. Because I'm reminded that every normal day my pregnant wife is on the other tower around 8.40 in the morning. And that morning she left home saying she's going in early to work. I had reached the towers and she had called me saying she's on her way into New York City. I tried to reach out through my cell phone, borrow the phones of all the people running down that stairwell with me, but cell phones would not work because the networks were all jammed. We hear another explosion. We hear, uh, uh, it, it was a huge roar again. This is a second plane crashing into the second tower. We continue our descent down. We were running down with a very heavy heart, wondering if there would be a way for us to be getting out of this burning building. But when we get to the 43rd or the 44th floor, we saw something that just brought hope to us. We saw these incredibly brave farm and policemen racing up, making their way up with all the equipment that they were carrying. And when we saw them, we knew that there had to be a way out of this burning building. After all, they had made their way into the building from the outside. But we had no idea then 
where these, why these men were making their way up. Because we had seen fire running down those stairwells and we would wonder why they're going up. We had no idea then that America was giving up its best. That these brave firemen and policemen for the love of their neighbor, for the love of their friends, were living out what is said in the Bible, greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friend on September 11, 2001. The worst form of evil, Al-Qaeda terrorists came and attacked this country and showed the world the darkness that could be in men's heart. But the response, the first response to that horror, to that terror, came to these men and women, men, to these men who laid down their lives for the sake of their fellow neighbor. I pause here for a moment. I have a question for you. The story of 9-11 truly is a story of everyday heroes, firemen, policemen, EMT staff that serve in communities like this and across this nation. For sure, it's a story of men and women that wear uniforms and, and go into the, some of the darkest places of the world for the cause of freedom protecting this country. So I have a question for you. If you serve... In the military, and you've had, an, you've had a tour of Iraq or Afghanistan since 9-11. I know many of you could be vets that could have served in other, uh, other wars, and we're grateful for your service. But this morning, I'm looking for people. You've, worked, you've served in Iraq or Afghanistan since 9-11. Or maybe you're a local farm and policeman or EMT or work for the sheriff's department. Would you just stand to your feet? Anyone here? Give a big hand to that hero. Thank you for being a hero. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We passed all those men saying, you guys are the real heroes. God be with you. And dear church, it took me an hour and 20 minutes to come down 81 floors of the North Tower. I get to this level, which is often called the plaza. I'm still in the building looking out. My eyes would fall on this plaza. The plaza was a place where people would gather during lunch and after work. Several weeks before 9-11, there were concerts right in that plaza after work. So this was a place of life. But now this place of life has been turned into this place of death as I see bodies of people that have jumped out of the building. The fuselage of the plane lying right in the middle of that plaza. We were told to avoid the scene that was on the left, to be going down one more level, down an escalator, and that would take us to the lowest level of the building. We went down that escalator and I'm thinking to myself, what if my wife's been delayed to work? What if she's not made her way into her tower? If that's her story, then she could be near the south tower looking for me. So friends, I start walking towards the south tower from the concourse level. And that's when the unthinkable, the unimaginable begins to happen. The ground that I'm standing on begins to shake. Felt like it was an earthquake. I've been sucked in some kind of vacuum. Incredible pressure developing around me. The glass is shattering. And I thought it was a bomb, but I soon realized this is not a bomb. The very building had approached. The South Tower was finally imploding and going down. Can you even begin to imagine what it's like to be 15 feet away from a 110-story building that's imploding and going down? As I realized what was happening around me, for the first time in my life, dear friends, I'm confronted with this reality, that this body came from dust and soon... This body is going to return to dust or ass. But oh God, there is something in me that will never ever die. Oh, that's how you created me. That's how you wired me. My soul will never die. My soul is, is going somewhere. But the question is, where is my soul going to go? Is it going to be an eternity with you, Jesus? 
or an eternity apart and away from Him. In that moment of fear, as I'm walking to the valley of the shadow of death, wondering where I was going to go and spend my eternity, as the fear of death begins to overwhelm me, I felt the Lord take me back in time to age 15, Calcutta, India, when on bended knee, I asked Jesus of Nazareth, the God of the universe, to come into my life and, and take care of me. I traded my sorrow, my questions, and He took all my guilt and the shame that I was carrying of my sins, and He washed me clean with His innocent blood. And I felt the Lord saying, because of that transaction that happened at age 15, Calcutta, India, you are mine, and if you're going to die here, you're going to make it to this place called heaven. And dear friends, I've come to tell you that that is the greatest peace I've had in my life on this journey of, of life. This peace that heaven is a real place. And I've come to encourage somebody here that's going through a story this Sunday morning by this truth that heaven is a real place. It is a place that He's preparing for you. Every time I share my story, I'm so mindful that there are men and women, boys and girls, that are sitting in the audience that you're going through your own story. And when we go through our story, it is our story. Life is such that we're going to have these stories and, and experiences. Life is a summation of stories and experiences. Some good stories, but hey, there's a lot of bad stories that we go through. This morning, your story could, is not about a building collapsing around you. But it's a story of intense pain. It is a story of brokenness this Sunday morning. Because you're having a rough time with your finances and you're wondering, how am I going to make it to the economy? If something doesn't happen in the next few weeks, I'm going to lose my house. And, and that's a crushing story that you're carrying this Sunday morning and you carried it to church. Perhaps your story is about a report that you received about your health these last week or the week, few weeks before. And that's that intense pain that you're carrying. Fear about tomorrow. Maybe you're here and you're going through a rough time in your relationship with your teenage son and daughter. She or she is far away from home, out in the world. And you're wondering, where is he? Where is she? And as a mom, as your dad, your heart is breaking this Sunday morning. And you've carried that story with you to church. Perhaps this morning, the story is about a marriage that is falling apart this weekend. And you're wondering, is there hope in our marriage? I've come to tell you that there is hope for your marriage. There is hope for the sickness that you're going through. Because Jesus of Nazareth is still in the business of healing and restoring. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if you have given up hope, if you have given up hope saying, nobody sees what I'm going through. Nobody has a clue what I'm dealing with me. Nobody hears the cries. Nobody sees the tears that I shed on my bed every night before I go to sleep. No one sees the depression that I'm going through. Hang in there. Jesus has something to say to your heart this morning. He said in John 14, do not be troubled. Could I paraphrase that for you this morning? If you're going through a rough time, he says to you individually, to you and you and me, do not be troubled. Trouble, trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. God of creation in the business of, of preparing a place for you and me. So you might have lost your house on, on this earth, but there is a mansion in glory that He Himself is putting together for you. And He continues by these words, these words, and if I go and prepare a place for you. He says, I will come back. And this morning as I say these words, 
Look at the world that we're now living in. Every world event out there is crying out loud that the coming of the Lord is near. The clouds are about to split wide open. The trumpet is about to be sound. And the bridegroom cometh for the bride. Is the bride ready to be, to be united with the bridegroom? When Jesus says those words in John 14 about eternity, about heaven, where he's going to go, there was one in that group that got a little nervous. Most Bible historians will tell you that the words of Jesus in John 14 happened probably around the Last Supper. Remember that scene, Jesus speaking to disciples? And this man sits on the corner and paints that picture? Not really, but, but he says these words as he meets with them probably for the last time, breaking bread together. Soon, all of hell is going to break loose against Jesus of Nazareth. Soon their peace is going to be forfeited. Soon they have to be running for their lives in fear about what the Jews and the Romans are going to do to them. And he says these words as one in the crowd got a little fearful. Oh Jesus, I've been with you when you've raised the dead. I've been there when you fed the thousands. I've been there when the prostitute came and fell at your feet. And as they came with reckless abandonment, you lifted up these brokenhearted people and you gave them hope and you changed their face. They came mournful, but they left with joy. I've been there. But oh Jesus, when you talk about how you're going to be leaving us, when you talk about heaven, there's something in me that says, this is right. This is the truth. But I'm not ready. I put it away for another day. Oh God, give me some time. I want to change some of the things in my life. Maybe when I'm, when I'm done through school and maybe when I get married, when I find the right church, I'll get serious with you. And you've been running away from this question of where you will go and spend your eternity. You come to church after a long time and Pastor Stan is doing a series from the book of Revelation. And in a way, fear overwhelms you. And you're saying, I'm not ready. I can't wait for this man to get over. I can't wait to get back in my car and go back to my lifestyle. There are moments where you can't help but be in church. You really don't like going to church. But you are in church because this is the last time you're going to say goodbye to your loved one. He or she is lying cold in that casket. And you walk down this aisle. And as you face your friend lying in that casket, you get locked in that moment. And you can help but ask yourself this question. One day it's going to be me. One day it's going to be me lying in the casket. So where will I go spend eternity? I felt that way for many years in my life growing up in Calcutta, India. Not knowing where I would go and spend eternity. The man that probably thought that way in, the, in this story in John 14 was Thomas. Thomas, he walked with Jesus. Yes, you could have been in church your whole life. And still have not made the heart connection with God, the universe. Where are you going? How do we know the way? Jesus sums up everything that Christianity has to say to us in John 14 verse 6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. I believe that verse was enough for Thomas to have the assurance of his salvation. But he is going to do something with this faith, with this passion for the gospel that's building up, that is swelling within him. He can't even contain it. He has to share this with people. And what, is, what does he do with that passion? He comes to the nation of India. And he begins to preach the gospel in the southern part of India. 
And he preaches with passion and Hindus and multitudes come and receive Jesus. And in that crowd would be my great ancestors because a few years ago, I tracked my family back and I found out that my family has been Christian for over 2,000 years because of the work of St. Thomas. Many received him, many more rejected him. And Bible history will tell you and tradition will tell you that he was martyred for the gospel in the nation of India, in southern India. But here's the reality. As Satan thought they can shut him up. They had no idea. Satan had no idea that in 2012, a mile and a half away from that spot, where this man bled and died for the cause of the gospel, some of my friends are building what will be the world's largest seeding church. Once completed, it will seed 57,000 people at one time. It's a great Assemblies of God church, new life, Assemblies of God. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Going back to my story, the peace of heaven overwhelmed me. That's all someone needs this morning. If you will allow the peace of heaven to overwhelm you, you're going to be okay. And as the Lord gives me this peace of heaven, now he changes my thought and I'm thinking about people around me. The 15 or 20 people who by then had huddled with me. I'm on top of these men and women. There are men and women on top of me. Another verse from the Bible comes and hits me hard. Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. An absolute guarantee. No world religion, no religious philosophers can ever, can ever say these words that you can and shall be saved if you call upon the name of their God, of their philosophy. Because they can do it. Because my Bible says there is only one name under all of heaven and earth by which we can be saved. And that is the sweet, matchless name of Jesus. And as this verse is speaking to me, the Lord speaks to me. These people that are with you, where are they going without me? This is New York City. People have come there from all over the world. They have come there having embraced all kinds of religions and philosophies of this world. But a boldness comes upon me that I'd never experienced before. Till then I tell folks I was a closet Christian. If you ask me what I believe in, why I do some things, why I don't do some things, then maybe I will engage with you in a spiritual conversation. Otherwise, I don't, I don't talk about Jesus. By the way, in 2012, turn on your television sets and you will see that everyone in America is coming out of its closet. And I sometimes wonder, why is the church of Jesus Christ still caught up in its closet? It's time that we come out of our closets, church, and boldly proclaim to this country that this country has been founded on nothing less and nothing more but the gospel of Jesus Christ. I started crying out, Jesus, not knowing what I was to expect. But I've got some good stuff to tell you this morning. I didn't hear nobody call upon the name of Allah, Buddha, Krishna, or try any of the form of religion or faith. Nobody tried to argue or debate with me. How could they? This should fire up somebody here this Sunday morning. There is only one name under all of heaven and earth by which we can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The word of God that became flesh and dwelt among men. The invisible God that became visible. The infinite God that became finite. The God of the universe 
that said, come enter into my rest. Here's the deal. Give me your sorrow. Give me your anger. Give me your questions, your frustrations, the guilt, and the shame of your past life. Give it to me. I'm going to take it somewhere. I'm going to nail it to the cross. And the, my blood is going to be applied to you. And when my blood gets applied into you, you will be made a brand new creation. Behold, I will move your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. The world may still look down at you, but you are a brand new creation. I'm going to give you a new song in your mouth. There will be a song of praise. I'm going to change the countenance of your face. The glory of God will go before you. You will experience me even when you go to the valleys and, and then high points and low lies of life. That is a reality of the gospel. Applying the gospel to everyday life. It's peace of heaven with me. But I'm thinking I'm going to die with these people. So I said a prayer which might sound a little funny now. You might laugh at me for this. I said, God, I think I'm going to die here. But I really hope my death can be less painful. I hope something soft hits me. <laughs> Listen, friends. Like I said earlier, in this life, you'll have these stories. You'll have these experiences. You can't help. The book of Job says, man is born for trouble like sparks that fly upwards. Some of us just got out of a story. Bless the Lord. Some of us are going through a story and some of you will be walking into a story such as our life on earth. But when you go through your stories of life and you're wondering, who do I call? Who do I lean upon? The wisdom of the world has failed you. Things that you that you put your trust on has filled you. They slip through the cracks in your hand. I've come to tell you, if a crazy prayer is all you have, if a broken prayer is all you have, God can deal with your crazy and God can deal with my crazy. The songwriter once said, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. For those of my dear friends that are going through some stories, some struggle this hour, you're wondering, Oh God, why am I going through this? I've lived for you. I've lived right for you. I give to church. So involved in church. I've got some good stuff to tell you. Maybe God is just giving you a testimony like how he gave me on September 11, 2001. Because here's the truth. Unless the alabaster box is broken. I said, unless that alabaster box is broken, the sweet fragrance of the gospel cannot come out of you. God is just crushing you this morning. God is crushing somebody through the season of your life, just arming you with a story to tell because there is a great dividing that goes on Monday to Saturday when you're outside the walls of this church. People that look at your life and your testimony and wondering, why are you still giving to God? Why are you still in church? How come your kids are in church with you? How come your marriage looks great even though you're going through a rough time financially that is because what the blood of Jesus has done for you that is because God of the universe had mercy upon you lifted you up from the miry clay put your feet on solid ground put a robe on you put a finger put his sign of acceptance and over you and because of that you have a story to tell and that's why some of you are going through the season of crushing hang in there Shavdrag, Meshach and Abednego they had to experience a pit of fire before they got exalted Joseph had to go through prison and he had to be in that pit before he got ex exalted. Who Look at anybody that God used. Look at Moses out in the wilderness. You have to have the wilderness experience before the anointing comes upon you. I'm saying for somebody that God is opening the doors wide open for a door of opportunity just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this morning I'm persuaded that if God goes before you, who can come against you? Nobody can come against the plans that God has for your life and my life. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
I keep forgetting that I have to finish my story. After 15, 20 minutes, these people that are with me, they did not make it alive. Their body smashed and crushed. I said, God, they just call up on your name and how come they not make it? But I felt the Lord saying, Sujo, they made their peace with me in their dying moments and they're resting with me in my presence. You chase after wealth and you built up a good net worth for yourself. You chase after success and you crown the most successful man, woman in your community. If I go to your office, all the plaques on your wall tells the story how successful you've been in your community. Those things on your wall also talk about the great degrees that you've, you've got. You've gone further with your education like nobody has in your family. All that is good. You married, wanted to marry your high school sweetheart and she's yours. You wanted that dream house and this morning you can hold the tile of the dream house in your hand. You wanted that fast car and you came to church beyond the wheels of that fast car. But the question to you this morning in the pursuit of stuff. Let me say that again. In the pursuit of stuff. That one day is going to corrode, you're going to leave behind, and somebody else is going to enjoy. If you have not paid attention to your soul, because life on earth is short, dear friend. Some 7, 20, 40, 80, 100. Life on earth is short in the light of eternity. It's an opportunity for us as we walk through this earth, as we do life with one another and our family, as we do business and do whatever God's called us into. Those are just opportunities for us to get ready for eternity. But you've been ready with all the other stuff and not paid attention to take care of your soul. The Bible has something to say to you this morning. What shall profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Oh man, what will you give in exchange for your soul? For there comes a time where every man, every woman will have to give account of what we did while we walked on this earth. There is an appointment that we have to keep. We can't escape it. It's called death. And then we face the judgment of God. But the God of judgment is also a God of compassion. And this morning in His compassion, He brought you here so that you could get encountered with this message of grace. That God can pour His grace upon you and He can wash you clean and that He can rewrite the story of your life. One man alive in that group. This is an FBI agent. We locked our hands together. I asked him if he knew Jesus. He said he did. We both knew time was short. We were struggling to breathe. But something miraculous happens. A red light flashing to the soot, to the darkness. And I said, that could be the street level. We have to make our way towards that light. I don't know why God does, some, God does this sometimes. God just shows up in the 11th hour. And it's 10.59 on somebody's clock here this Sunday morning. So don't you give up. You could be at the brink of a miracle. You've come here to the right place and you're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and God wants to undertake for you. Give Him a chance. Let go of your story. This light leads us out of the pit. We get out. This man says, I've got to go back get more people. Runs back into the North Tower. The North was the first building to get hit. It was the second building to go down. The building begins to collapse and I'm saying, I hope this brave man makes it alive. This is a story of an incredible American hero. He died that day. Left behind four children and a wife. I'm out of the debris. Both the towers have collapsed. And I'm saying, God, for sure my wife is dead. I've given up hope about my wife, Mary. But late that day, my cell phone rings for the very first time. And I'm thinking it's someone else calling me with the news that your wife is dead. But when I said hello, it is my wife on the other side. And although she hears my voice loud and clear, her first words to me were, Babe, are you alive? <laughs> I get to share that when she's not around. <laughs> She tells me what happened to her. She came to work two minutes late. Gets off the last train that made its way to the basement of the building. 
Men and women jumping out of the building, bodies landing around her. And she's thinking, I could be one of them. But a young girl comes out of nowhere, grabs her and says, you're pregnant, you have to live for this child you're carrying. Pulls out that place, turns out to be a beautiful Christian girl who reads words of comfort to my wife when she needed comfort the most. The only way to explain that I'm here before you this morning is the words that God spoke to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. God had mercy and compassion on us. They took me and my wife to decontaminate us. Sucked all that stuff out of my lungs. Let go of past midnight. When I got home, the first thing I did was call my parents in India who would watch everything on CNN. And by the way, the reason they saw this on CNN was because there was no Fox News in India. Late that day, me and my wife got on our knees. And I said, God, this day has changed our lives forever. The most important thing that I've learned is that you never know what a day or a moment could have in store for you or for your family. Dear friend, you're riding high on the success of this world. I've come to just remind you gently that it just takes one moment, one day, to change your life and your family's life forever. So if you haven't got your life right with God, this is your day, these are your moments. But that night realizing the horror that had come upon America and the story that it was continuing to evolve as steel and that building was continuing to burn just three miles, four miles away from where I was living in New Jersey. And as that smell would come in through the windows of where we lived that day, as I would get out of the door, I would continue to see that smoke rise up. It would remind me that 19 hijackers full of hatred for this country came, attacked, died, and murdered 3,000 people, all for a cause that they passionately believed in. And my Bible and your Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You hang out with him, a few moments of pleasure, but he's going to get you. So God, how come there are men and women so willing to blow themselves up for causes of such hate and evil? And in the light of that kind of devotion... How guilty am I? How guilty is my generation? How guilty is the church of Jesus Christ? I'm not just living for the greatest cause known to mankind. The cause of Jesus Christ for the, cause, for the call to the church is not to be blowing ourselves up somewhere, but to be the soul and the light. If only the church, if only Christ followers would just live for Jesus, that's all expected. If you will do that, there are men and women around you that will look at your life story and they will begin to want to know more and glorify the Father in heaven. That's the call of a Christ follower. And yet the tragedy is, we keep this greatest cause that mankind will ever get encountered with. We keep this cause to ourselves. And we continue to watch our world die, fade away without Jesus. We continue to see young girls being sold into the red light districts of the world, snatched away from their family when they were young. We continue to see young children starving in places like Africa. We continue to see marriages fall apart. We continue to see brokenness upon our humanity when we can be the answer. You can be the Jesus. I can be the Jesus that can lift up a, bro a broken hearted brother somewhere in this community. You can be that angel of change for your community that's going through a rough time. You could be that person, mom, that can lift up that young girl. She has had no mother in her life and she's made some choices in her life 
that has led her to brokenness and she's wondering, how will I make it through this rough economy? You could be that mom that she never had. You could go and lift her up. You could give her a brand new name. You could give her the a message that can bring hope, change your life around. Young man, young lady, look back in those times when you were young and you went back. You would go to VBS and you would go to youth camps. Oh, there were a few people that would ride with you on that bus. But this Sunday morning, looking at their life, they're not in church anymore. They slipped through the cracks. But this heart, this Sunday morning, would your heart, would you allow the Lord to break your heart for those people? Because if your heart will be broken for those people, you can't wait to tell them that there is a second chance in Jesus Christ, that God can lift them up again, that He can put those broken pieces together and create a beautiful mosaic out of their life. If everybody does that, the church will be exploding. You will have three, four services and that building program, the plans I saw in the conference room, Pastor Stan will have to move it up really quick and you got to have re rebuild this whole thing all together because a church just got fired up for the cause of the gospel. A church just got fired up to share Jesus with a humanity that is so broken. There are people like that even in our homes. So this morning as I close, I hope when you go back home, it will start from your home. If you will start from your home sharing Jesus that do not know Jesus, it will spill over into your neighborhood and then it will spill into the city and America will once again experience the greatest revival this country has ever experienced. Time has come. Is the church ready? There is a generation that God wants to raise up it will, so that it will not be said of America that this country once knew Jesus. Sometimes a lot of conversation that I hear overseas is, is this. America once knew Jesus, but I don't want that to happen in my clock. And I know you don't want to happen, make that happen. In, to see that happen in your clock, it's time to do something. It's time to stand in the gap. Let the Nehemiahs of this church come out. Let the Esthers of this church be called out. Because we have been called to be bridge builders. We have been called to stand in the gap and cry out for this nation like we've never cried out before.